Jean! No! An X-Men The Animated Series Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Jean! No! An X-Men The Animated Series Podcast. I am, as always, Sarah Musek, and with me today is... Hi, I'm Rob Berliner, the co-host. Hey, Rob Berliner. Hi. Welcome back. Glad to have you here for... Great to be here. Season three, episode three, the moment we've all been waiting for, by which I mean I have been waiting for, the Phoenix Saga. Yeah. The only time the Phoenix Saga was done well on celluloid, so to speak. Yeah, it's going to be great. So this is the first part, Sacrifice. We do not even get previously on X-Men. We are jumping in with both feet, which makes me extremely happy. So we get we we begin to piece things together from the very beginning. We see a sun going wild in a faraway galaxy. We see um, alien bug-like spaceships under attack and on the run. Professor X is dreaming all of this, and it's very Star Wars. Only the ships look like bugs, and the big neon green cruisers are star destroyers. And we hear that line, also very Star Wars: "Help me, Charles Xavier. Help me. You are my only hope." She doesn't say that, but. I mean, it's, it's implied. implied. It is yeah, implied. for sure. And poor Professor X is so tormented. Who are you? Where have you come from? <laughs> How do I know you? How could I possibly know you? Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, Professor. And apparently he's like real linked up, right? By what miracle do I feel your fear, your pain? Who is trying to hurt you? Why would they? Why can't you get away? Oh, man. He is having a tough time in his dreams do you sorry sidebar rob do you do you record your dreams are you one of those people who like writes down what you dream to like see what your subconscious is telling you i've tried it a couple times in my life but i don't make a practice of it do you i'm trying to one of my mentors is like you need to start doing this and i have noticed that since i made the decision that i would like to i am remembering more of my dreams i don't feel like they've given me any real information yet but it is kind of interesting very interesting. Yeah. The sidebar conversation for maybe for another podcast is Indeed, how there is yeah. universal universal symbology in dreams, which I'll never understand how that we all have the same sort of anyway, different different podcast. Different podcast, but things to look forward to. The human podcast. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. So some of the uh, bug ships that are on the run are immobilized. They're picked up by tractor beams. And then we we hear the voice coming from the one green bug ship. So there's like one little ship that like all its buddies are being stripped away, leaving the one little bug ship on the run. Again, we get help me, Charles Xavier, help me for the sake of the future. Help me. Oh, man, I'm already so excited. I'm like, great, we got Lalandra. Oh, man, it's going to be so good. But we don't know it's her yet. We know she's right. got full, she's got her full bug armor. She is reaching for him. And it's interesting that everything is very um buggy in the in the imagery, because actually the Shi'ar are an avian species. Uh they're actually part like part bird DNA. So typically their stuff is more bird-like, but whatever. Looks alien, mm -hmm. and that's what we need to know for this mm -hmm. first scene, I think. Yeah. And Charles Xavier wakes up. Very sweaty to continue with the uh, with the conversation from the last episode. Extremely. Drenched. He is drenched and he says ominously, they're coming. coming. Oh, man. Love <laughs> it. 
it. Oh man. So I also just need to say like, not only is the Phoenix saga considered is arguably the greatest X-Men story ever told. Um, although I would say that age of apocalypse give it, gives it a run for its money. Fight me. But, um, <laughs> I loved the Phoenix saga growing up. This was radical for me um it made me fall in love with Jean Grey as a character and now I understand why because prior prior to this episode she she doesn't usually doesn't usually do a lot all right so they are coming do actually no I want to ask you Rob do you remember watching the Phoenix Saga growing up yeah but my my introduction to the Phoenix Saga was from again from the Marvel cards which was sort of Mm. my introduction to everything so I felt like this was the manifestation for me of having uh, of telling the stories that I'd first encountered on the cards and dark Phoenix was a card in the Marvel series one. So I I sort of like understood that the Phoenix was trouble. I mean, you read the books and stuff too, but you know, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Yeah, that is cool. That is cool. Yeah. So Professor X summons the X-Men to the war room in their jam jams. And I noticed that like none of the men wear a shirt to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm impressed Um, that some of them wear shirts out of the house. Some of them don't. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's actually an extremely (laughs) accurate comment. I take it. And we get a little bit, right? Wolverine sniffs and says, Zick cream. And (laughs) Jubilee is so embarrassed because it's the nineties. (laughs) <laughs> it's also all over her face it's not it like is all over zoom in on the little it's not like wow is wolverine's incredible sense of smell picked up on the very you know invisible cream on her face no it's it's basically like she fell asleep in a vat of zit cream then, no it's fine maybe exaggerating jubilee i too had acne and it was a rough I time still do. yeah 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 Oh, I don't because I took Accutane, which is that like totally like um what is it birth de- making of birth deformities um uh, uh medication. I actually wasn't allowed to give blood for a period of time. So um. uh, fun story is that and you may decide to cut this out, but I actually don't <laughs> really get acne because I also took Accutane. Oh um, yeah, but we are sort of survivors, so that's good. We are, yeah, absolutely. No, we are we are a cohort for sure. But you we- believe if you're listening. Don't feel self-conscious. We've all no, been it's there. okay. It's okay. You, It's the 90s. You can still get Accutane. They were still prescribing it. You can get on birth <laughs> control. There are a lot of options. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, and Storm has some amazing orange jams. Uh, I was very impressed. I mean, she's always stylish. I shouldn't be always. surprised. But stylish for the nighttime as well. We find out that Rogue's on a mission, which is going to become very important later because it turns out that Rogue has powers that would have been useful, but that would totally upend this whole story and we can't have that. So Rogue's on a mission. And then we have Professor X says, does anyone know where Gambit is? And Gambit arrives walk of shame with no shame i said no. gambit arrives from a night on the town because he's a bad boy and he <laughs> says look like i come home just in time and wolverine says late date a eh, gumbo not for me <laughs> that was that line that made me so happy and i'm like hey we're not even in prime time anymore and yeah. things are getting a little little spicy <laughs> I also noticed that Gambit's going out while Rogue is away. And uh, anyway, Gambit, I see you. And that, and I see that uh, that uh, ladies' man '90s outfit as well. Oh yeah, 
like the you know the prominent collar i feel like it was probably a double-breasted jacket oh uh, yeah and the tie undone yeah. yeah exactly right yeah and the ponytail is, of course is rogue's absence tied to the um origins of the story in the books as in- no rogue actually isn't an x-man at this time so that's what i mean yeah exactly yeah. so that's why right so they had to write around rogue because she wasn't there for this original right but neither was gambit and neither was jubilee so they specifically have to write rogue out because she could have piloted the shuttle bottom line and um yes thank you uh yeah so speaking of the shuttle this is when things kind of go off the rails in a great way professor x says the space shuttle star core scheduled for launch tomorrow and beast like name drops his bff dr uh, dr peter corbo and he says you must find a way to get aboard that shuttle and get to the eagle one space station if you don't dr corbo and his crew are doomed and everybody is like what because they fought the juggernaut they fought magneto but sneaking onto a space shuttle launch is a whole new level of adventure doomed with a fist bump with a pounding on the table oh yeah no they he professor X shows his emotion big time uh, and it won't be the last time that he pounds his fist to get his point across no, now Gambit tries to be the voice of reason. He says, breaking into government installations ain't usually your style or ain't usually our style. But I actually stopped at that line because I was like, ain't it though? Ain't it though kind of your style to, to break yes, into but if the authorities ask, if the authorities ask, it's not our style. Okay. Right. No, fair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Are you a cop? Because it's my style. Unless you're a cop. No, no, it's not my style. That should yeah. be like, like he should look directly in the camera and say that. You know, <laughs> uh, it's not our style. Not our style. No. Nope. Not our style. Whoever's watching, it's not our style. No. And just so the the NSA knows, it's not our style either. So. No. No. Absolutely not. Now Cyclops asks a valid question, which is, "What are we supposed to do on Eagle One?" And Professor X doesn't know. All he <laughs> says, "All I can tell you is that an event of immense importance is about to happen in space. You must be ready." And then everyone's like, "Okay." <laughs> Realistically, uh, uh, in fairness, right? Like, if Mystique were posing as Professor X and trying to get rid of the X Men or any other shapeshifter, would they have more complicated, would they have less complicated dialogue than this? I mean, probably, probably. I mean, I feel like, oh, wait, wait, maybe I should rephrase that. (laughs) I don't think I made any sense. (laughs) Professor X just sort of deciding, I don't know what's happening, but you need to leave now, feels very much akin to a trap. I know it's not. But no, I'm just but it saying, is, like, but it's not one of his making. <laughs> it's wild because it definitely feels like he should know better than to be like, just trust me. Mm-hmm. And Scott's like, don't you trust us? Well, yeah. I don't want to get ahead of you. but No, no, but he does. He does say exactly that. But Wolverine kind of glosses over everything, right? He says, makes about as much sense as some of the stuff we do. <laughs> so there we go. There we go. Makes and he asks. Makes as much, about, as about as much sense as Beast only wearing underpants. And me wearing a, a <laughs> thing on my hair all the time, even though my hair is important to me. Well, I love specifically that. And I'm not sure we've ever talked about this, that Wolverine's mask is his hair shape. 
And which came first, the mask or the hair? I'm not sure, but they definitely, it is a, a hand in glove situation. Mm. 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 So anyway, uh, <laughs> for the, everybody adjourns. Professor X watches the stars through his big mansion window. And it's when Cyclops comes in and Professor X says, ominously, I thought you'd come. And Cyclops, to his credit, you know, he... I'm not always on Cyclops' side, is the point. He is not always a great person, but I think that this is super fair. He says, why won't you tell us what this mission is really about? Don't you trust us? Don't you trust me to lead the team? And I think it was like in that last line, we found out what was really going on. He doesn't care that Professor X doesn't trust the team. This is a, this is a daddy-son relationship. And he is very upset that dad does not trust him. At some point, I wonder if like, you know, if this was a real reality show, right? Which obviously it's not. Um, but if you could see the outtakes of Professor X, just <laughs> like the times that he breaks from Scott being just annoying. You know? <laughs> like, Scott, can't you let it go? You know, like, Scott, go back to bed. <laughs> not this again. You know? Yeah, that, that's there a, actually... Be- if but, there are voice bloopers, I want to hear them. There probably are. I'm sure there I are. I mean, they, they actually, and and uh, I was actually watching um, a reunion of the cast on YouTube, um, in part a memoriam to Norm mm. Spencer, who was the voice of Cyclops. And apparently he was a real cut up and he liked to get people laughing. So there probably are bloopers and many oh. of them involving Cyclops. I can't a, wait. Yeah. I mean, apparently he had a real dry sense of humor, like, which makes sense. Um, it does. But, but they, oh, I love it. That makes me really happy. I'm going to find that video. That's good stuff. Yeah. So anyway, the professor's like, I still don't know anything. All right. So the, so the Blackbird leaves with the X-Men on it. They are in stealth mode, as it says on the screen high-end technology in the 90s and we see palm trees so it's definitely florida probably cape canaveral that they don't even show up as a blip on the radar and storm says fog rise up to enshroud us in the cloak of your gray mists that was my favorite line i wrote that whole line down did you it's so good right what do you like about it well just the idea that she needs to really persuade the fog you know like she has to be very poetic or else it won't happen like, it's not just a, a thought process for her. It's not just like an impulse. It's not just like a wave of her hand. It's like, it's like she's beckoning it. She's like really trying to sit, like charm the fog out of its, you know, into, into action. What about you? It. No, I love it. And it's interesting because this came up, a question has come up in, in this podcast is, is Storm's you know, for lack of a better term, like incantations, is this a part of the, like, does she need to do them? I wonder that too. Yeah. And, and I actually think that she does. And the reason is when she was possessed by Shadow King, he had to do it in order to use her powers. So, but I also think she enjoys it. But do you, what, how, how much could she simplify it for it still to work? Could she go fog on? Would that work? Or does she have to be like, you know, and fog? <laughs> well, I guess okay. it's it's in the nature of the the person, right? So it's uh, she's definitely not a flame on Johnny Storm type. Right. She is she is a storm type, and that is different. So if she swaps, she, she swaps out the word gray. Could she get any color fog? Storm, if you're listening, 
story please please, please write, write in the comments. the comments and please tell us we would love to know uh, <laughs> anyway she brings up the fog beast throws everybody over the fence and wolverine does not like it he does not like being thrown without his permission which i guess i can understand you know he's a little guy. In a row of the beast <laughs> putting his hands on people without permission uh, yep so yeah we talked in the last episode about like like beast and consent have like a like a loose a loose relationship at best um cyclops scolds beast and wolverine and i do love when wolverine says sorry dad <laughs> uh, <laughs> me too good news wolverine carves them through a door an alarm goes off of course because this is a, a highly secure facility and uh beast i wrote beast does some sick gymnastics nice <laughs> i do appreciate that this is like a stealth mission meant to be under cloak of night stealth mode on the plane they're gonna sneak onto a you know a, a military base get on a or whatever get on a spaceship that's not they're not entitled to be on but they wear their bright blue and yellow spandex anyway it's just no like problem. there's no there's no there's no like hey maybe we should should we like tone it down this time it's not like they didn't have the 2000 uh x-men leather yet i guess no no that Still wasn't might. no yeah. not their scene not their scene yeah so uh let's see cyclops tells jubilee it's time to get yourself caught and just totally the the, the 90s she says i know and he says <laughs> they've got to catch somebody or they'll scrub the launch and she says it's just not fair i always wanted to be an astronaut and i think we all did in the 90s did you ever go to space camp i never went to space camp but i definitely wanted to be an astronaut that's cool yeah did I you remember, go to space camp? No, I didn't. Uh, oh. I remember watching some sort of special on PBS and WTTW, Chicago, and they they had some sort of space or astronomy program and you could send in a postcard and like maybe it would get drawn and you would go to space camp. And I legitimately thought that they were going to draw mine, but they didn't. It's okay. I still love space though. Yeah, for sure. I was too busy filling out every possible mail-in drawing for Nickelodeon. Oh, okay. Like win a party at your school or a thousand dollars or whatever. Oh, that's that's pretty good. I we didn't have cable, so <laughs> I was a little more limited. I did, however. So in addition to watching Fox Kids every Saturday, they also had a radio program, and I did get onto the radio program, which was wow. pretty sweet. That's so, great for your was... for for an early version of this podcast. Was it basically? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was fun. My name is Sarah. And Jean, no. I think I think that the uh, the yeah, like bottom line. I mean, the thing I remember most about it was that my parents at first wouldn't give me the phone because they were like, "Who is this grown man calling for my daughter?" And he explained, you know, it was like the DJ on Fox Kids. So that was that was cool. That's awesome. Yeah, you are famous. Almost, almost famous. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So Jubilee is arrested by space soldiers and says, this is embarrassing. So she kind of pulls, pulls off like, oh, I thought it was, I thought it was cool, but it wasn't. Meanwhile, in the astronaut locker room, I put question mark. It's interesting because I'm sure there is like the equivalent of the astronaut locker room, but I don't think that they put on their own suits there. Because I read an obituary of a guy who like basically his job was the suits was like the was astronaut suits. And I don't think you put your suit on alone. I think 
you and at least one other person put on your suit. Interestingly in this, and this is maybe the indication that we're no longer around the primetime budgets, but there's this shot on that scene where they're all in their locker room. And it looks as though um, the animation sort of got the, the ball got dropped a little bit because we see them reach for their, the back of their suit. And then the, the camera just pans without the animation continuing. Oh, interesting. Kind of blooper I just caught actually just now. That's didn't, fun. Didn't take me out of the episode, but I'm. No, that's okay. We've discussed how in previous episodes, sometimes like there's a group and they're all the same guy. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's totally fine. So Cyclops stun blasts everybody and says, sorry, gentlemen, but if the professor's right, I may have just saved your lives. Shout out, just a shout out to uh, Scott's uh, wings in his, in his hair. His hair is very, it's lots of character in this episode. And, mm, and yes. And actually, we're going to see some good hair throughout this series. Uh, yes. Not only Scott's, but also Jean's, also Banshee's. Lil Landers got cool feather hair. Little preview. Um, yeah, so they stash the astronauts in the isolation chamber, which I guess is a thing, similar to when they needed to put the guards at the Sentinel facility into the guard room. So they just gotta just gotta find some place to put them. And so the mm. X-Men put on the suits, but uh-oh, Dr. Corbeau, Beast's buddy, comes in, but it's cool. Gene's got it. And so he thinks that he's with all the other astronauts. Everything's fine. Everything's fine, everybody. Lift off. They're all going to space. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so you guys can't see, but Rob was making circles around his eyes because that's how we know that Gene's telepathy is working, is her telepathy is like coming out of Dr. Corbo's eyes. <laughs> I also really uh, I shout out to the fact that um, Wolverine puts on the helmet over his mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like, how does that work? Why does that work? Isn't that, I don't know. Not We're in too deep. But... We're in much too deep already. <laughs> so at liftoff, Professor X and Storm watch alongside some random dudes and then they go to get Jubilee. So, okay. I want to talk about this moment because mm -hmm. Professor X send Storm to get Jubilee. You know what would have made more sense is if Professor X went to get Jubilee because <laughs> Storm literally sucks the window out of the building and grabs Jubilee in a tornado. And they're like, let's be subtle. You know what would have been subtle if the professor was like, uh, you need to go to get a snack now. And then Jubilee just gets to walk out. But what fun would that be? Right. If he just did like a Jedi mind trick, like yeah. Obi-Wan. Just like you need to leave. Well, it actually, I think our our buddy uh, Michael Short, who is a co-host on this podcast, has said that you know Professor X really is pretty problematic as the most powerful telepath on Earth because he sort of like negates his existence, like negates the need for the X Men, but we just ignore it. I suppose he could just dissuade crime and hatred on his own. Yeah, he could. Well, he, yeah, he could. But then we found out that he had a dark side or we, we actually, no, we didn't find out. We're going to find out in the next episode that he has a dark side. So we don't, we don't want that. Sorry, guys. I've seen a lot of episodes of this series in the past week. <laughs> so yeah, so they're on Space Shuttle Star Corps. They uh, get to Eagle One, but bad news to quote Admiral Akbar. What? It's a trap. It's a trap. Eric the Red is already there. We see Beast and Wolverine in zero gravity. Beast, of course, finds it fascinating because he finds everything fascinating. 
And we get some exposition that's going to come in handy later. A solar probe with complete radiation shielding. Remember that, kids. <laughs> that's going to come back. It's important. And I also love that, that Wolverine says, these gizmos get on my nerves. I just love the <laughs> idea that, like, like technology, like Wolverine just hates technology. Just like, I hate this. He's really old. That makes he sense. He is, actually. And honestly, the older I get, the more I agree <laughs> that the gizmos get on my nerves. Except for, like, I do, my dad's really into, like, kitchen devices, so I'm a little into kitchen devices as well. So we can keep the kitchen gizmos. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, Wolverine, even knowing how to operate, you know, like a television is probably impressive for his generation, you know? Good point. Good point. So Dr. Corbeau, uh, oblivious Dr. Corbeau, mind control Dr. Corbeau says, I, uh, I hear station personnel planned a great welcome for us. They don't get many guests up here. Guess what, everybody? <laughs> it's going to be a party, but not the kind of party you want. Jean Grey, she's not Phoenix yet, so she goes, ah, because that's that's how she do. And she says, a presence I've never felt before. A trap. No, Dr. Corbeau, back to the shuttle. But then she loses her hold, her telepathic hold on him. And Dr. Corbeau is like, what is happening? Right? He's like, Hank McCoy, why, why, why are you here? Right? I would be upset to find myself on a space shuttle. I was supposed, or sorry, a space station I was supposed to be on with p different people that I was supposed to be there with. I'll keep that in mind in case I ever have the opportunity to surprise you on a space station. I hope you do, friend. I hope you do. I, I mean, I feel like if, if we don't destroy ourselves, we will have that opportunity as like nonagenarians. All right. Well, that's, that's a date. Yeah. So meanwhile, everyone's gassed into unconsciousness. <laughs> that's what happens next. The door opens and we get Shi'ar Emissary Eric the Red welcomes you to Eagle One Station. It is unfortunate you shall not be staying. And I wrote Eric the Red equals BDSM Viking. And uh, that, I mean, I, I, agree. I still agree with that assessment. I don't remember writing that, but it's true. He is, he is the leather daddy. <laughs> it's quite a look. Yeah, it's it, definitely no, it really is. It really is. So next scene, Eric the Red is reporting into Emperor DeKen, uh, who we're going to hear a lot more about in coming episodes, who is his, 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 he's checking in with his boss, right? So uh, not undercover boss, Emperor DeKen, that the shuttle crew has been neutralized, but he sees uh, Beast and realizes that they're stowaways. DeKen's like, they're onto my plans for the crystal. And Eric the Red says, I'm going to clean it up. And that's that's something that we're going to see throughout the next couple of episodes. Eric the Red's like, I'm going to clean it up. He's really trying. He wants to impress to Ken. He wants to get off of Earth, which he refers to later as a backwater. But sorry, buddy, you're just not competent enough. Employee reviews are coming up. Does not meet expectations. <laughs> I wondered if backwater was a universal term. Like every planet has backwaters, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Suppose there's waters, and then there's the waters behind them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which are less desirable than the those than the than the four waters. waters. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, as part of his cleanup, Eric the Red hits the controls for the airlock. So uh, he says, "Let the galaxy know the price for aiding Lilandra." And Jean uh, tries to stop them. Good job, but faints. Bad job, <laughs> Jean. <laughs> 
Everybody gets sucked toward the airlock. Good news, Jean Grey is awake again. She uses her, her uh, telekinesis to fritz the systems and close it. Everybody wakes up, but bad news, the crew has guns. The crew is being mind-controlled by Eric the Red. They've got little glowy dots at the back of their neck. Hate when that happens. Hate it. The worst. Jean says, all I remember is someone standing over us, gloating. And Wolverine says, someone call for a surgeon. <laughs> you know, I, get it, I, get it. Uh, I think <laughs> I think Wolverine enjoys that. I think he like, I think he sort of wishes that he was a he. I mean, he is. I'm sure he has been a field surgeon in the past. He's definitely done, you know, amputations. Amputations. I'm sure he's played doctor a couple times. So Wolverine's <laughs> got got a medical degree, is what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Then we get some nice exposition. And Rob, I know you said that this was a kind of a refresher for you. So they're kind of catching us up, right? So we find out that the Shi'ar travel by wormhole, that he's looking to destroy an enemy of his emperor, the rebel Lelandra, who will come through the wormhole. And he's got a big energy weapon to do it. So kids, we're all on the same page. Lelandra is coming through the wormhole. He's going to blast her out of the sky. Great. And, but, and here's actually, this was one of my favorite lines in the whole episode. He gives all this exposition and then Dr. Corbeau says, but who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Which I actually really appreciate that Dr. Corbeau has some spunk in him. Just like, what is going on? <laughs> and so I do wonder how you, how I would, you know, how do you respond to that situation anyway? Like, what's the appropriate response? Right. Tell a joke. It Sing a show tune. I think you would. Wait, do you know which show tune you would you would sing? I, I don't know. It's a really good question. Why would I but not you wouldn't? Sing a show tune? I feel like I'd make an awkward joke, probably. Yeah. Probably what I would or do. like a pun that wouldn't that wouldn't carry over <laughs> species lines. I think that I would probably make fun of Eric the Red and just make jokes about him being a Viking. Because why do you have the same name as Eric the Red? It's a fair question. I mean, I suppose we could sing like a parody of Henry VIII as Eric the Red, I am, I am. I don't think he would like it, though. Okay, well, hopefully he's not listening so that if we ever find him. Eric the Red, if you're listening, I'm real (laughs) sorry. Real sorry. If you're listening, try to forget this so that when we do spring the song Eric the Red, I am on you, (laughs) you're totally surprised. So he he does explain who he is. He says that he's an agent of the emperor of this sector. He's waited for years for my emperor to need me watching your backwater little world. And he says, perhaps now I can be assigned to a more important planet. And I wrote in the margins. Okay, buddy. Uh, more, more, a more forwater planet. A more, fo- yeah. More, more water forward planet. <laughs> something. Dagobah? Maybe. Good news. Enter the X-Men, and we get a great line from Eric the Red. You, you were supposed to have been space debris. (laughs) Then the X-Men fight Eric the Red and the mind-controlled space crew, but uh uh-oh, here comes Lelandra, where everybody? Through the wormhole, as promised. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Corbeau, you know, I give Dr. Corbeau so much credit. He is rolling with so many mental punches today. He wakes up uh, to himself on a space station with who he thought was his buddy, Hank McCoy, and a bunch of Hank McCoy's friends. He's held hostage by this guy. Anyway, he says he's going to destroy the alien spaceship. Whoever you are, please stop him. 
good job, Dr. Corbo. Like you, you know, what's up? Like that guy's a bad guy. Stop him from what he's doing. Good news, Cyclops blasts the computers and Eric the Red's big laser misses, then explodes. He retreats. They free Dr. Corbeau, but whoa-oh, the whole station is about to break up. Gotta go, everybody. Not good. Not good. <laughs> Not good at all. So they grab the unconscious crew. They run for the shuttle. And I'm not sure if you noticed this, but we get like a computer voice uh, and it's extremely Midwestern. And I say this as someone who is Midwestern. And actually, it might be. I was like, this sort of sounds like Bobby's yeah. mom. And it might be the voice actor who played Bobby's mom. Warning, reactor overload imminent. So I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up. Wasn't it made in Canada? Probably yeah, Canadian. we do get a lot of stories. And Minnesota. Really says sorry. Yeah. Somebody who just like, you know, moseyed over from, you know, northern Minnesota. Ah, oh, man. Love you, Midwesterners. You're like, you're, many of you are good people. <laughs> but they're good people everywhere, right? That's what that story sure. says. All right. Good news. The shuttle star core is off. Everybody's on it, except for Eric the Red, who's in his own ship with his, like, mind-controlled slaves. Eagle One explodes. Uh, the shut- But bad news, the shuttle is headed through the energy contrail, which, honestly, as a kid, it's like, did you use that phrase? Energy contrail? They did. Uh, it's headed through Lelander's ship's energy contrail. They can't change course. And the readings are so intense, they're completely off the scale. So... <laughs> We get that perfect line from Gambit. Look like they're going to be a barbecue. We're going to be the main course. Poetry. I know. What are they going to do, Rob? They are going to defer to Jean Grey. They are, right? And they're going to get in that solar probe that we talked about earlier. Remember that cool radiation, complete radiation shielding that Beast mentioned? This is where this is where it comes into play. And Jean said, Jean, like out of nowhere, gets confidence. I love it. She says, I can fly it. I can absorb Dr. Corbo's flight training and create a uh, psychokinetic shield to protect myself. But of course, Cyclops says, I won't allow it because she has his emotional support, Jean. And he says, wait, hasn't it already happened? This is the thing. Doesn't she say that as she's sucking the life force out of him? Yeah, well, he says, I won't allow it. He says, he'll do it. And then she just knocks him out. And like, good for her. And we get that line, I'm sorry, Scott. There's no other way. And then we get the tender moment. We've actually, I was going to say, we've all been waiting for it, but it's really me. And Wolverine says, Gene, I. Don't try to talk me out of it. Yeah. Don't try to stop me, Logan. I wouldn't. I just wanted to say, good luck. Good luck. And then she kisses him on the cheek, and it's so nice. Is that the first kiss between them? In X-Men, the animated series, yeah. Yeah, so this is this is high stakes, everybody. It <laughs> seemed like fun and games with Leather Daddy on the space station, but it is not. <laughs> and we get uh, that iconic shot of Jean looking at Logan through the doors, and the doors closing on her, and it is showtime. She is piloting the shuttle. Flames are overwhelming the cockpit, and she screams. Screams. Well, she moans first, and then she screams. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, right, right. (laughs) It's a building. Oh, man. Guys, we're off to the races. It is the Phoenix Saga. This is so great. Rob, what, what thoughts do you have? What did you not get to talk about? I know I rolled us through the plot real quick. 
No, I appreciated it. No, I, I'm, I'm here to listen because I know that you were like expert on this stuff and, and the comparison between the failed uh, cinematic attempts at telling the story versus this uh, widely embraced and celebrated adaptation. I'd love to hear what makes this for you more successful. Uh, well, actually, so this came up in conversation with a friend recently. One was the idea that actually this, is, this story is much too big for a single film. And actually the serialized medium of comics was perfect and the serialized medium of cartoons also ideal for this. This is really, I mean, it's called a saga for a reason, right? right? So it really is a mini series. I think I love it for a couple of reasons. One is we've so firmly established the characters that um, we're not just getting to know anybody. We're, we're all in. We we know who everybody is. We know what their pasts are. Uh, those who have mysterious pasts, except for Wolverine, who gets to keep his mysterious past for at least another 20 years. So good for him. Yeah. And so we find we just get to see some really good character work throughout this arc where we don't again we're not doing establishments we're getting to see some uh the way i think about it is like uh you know the uh, like the pinballs right play off play off each other yeah. mm-hmm. and um i also just i personally just love that jean gray literally and figuratively comes into her power she's an awesome character and this is when it happens Mm-hmm. Also, I love the Shi'ar. I'm like, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. I loved, even before the X-Men, I loved Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, and to have like X-Men, which I love, plus space, it's just like, mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. We yeah, I know. Yeah. What were we going to say? Nothing. I was like, we haven't even gotten to like the great stuff. Like we haven't gotten to the Imperial Guard. Like we haven't gotten to Dark Phoenix. We haven't gotten to the Hellfire Club. Like so much happens um, over the course of the, the this season, you know, in these issues in the comics. It, it really sets the comics up. First of all, I think it like sets an amazing storytelling standard, but it also provides fodder for basically the X-Men up until today, the end. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for coming no, to I my think TED that, Talk. Like- yeah, I standing ovation. <laughs> we uh, uh, no, I think that you know, and I make light of it. Um, the sort of the it's not camp, but um, can dip its toe into the melodrama world, yes. you know. And so now we're in outer space, and now it's not just life or death, but it's like the universe and the forces of good and evil. And, you know, I mean, all yes, kinds of galactic states. Yeah, it's just the, the scope of this has just gotten blown up tremendously. So that that uh, is very exciting. And that's a palpable difference between, you know, the last episode we were talking about where, when you know, there was a real threat, but it was essentially like, you know, uh, a, a, a ran- like a ghost. <laughs> like, right. It's, it's a little bit more like a Scooby-Doo episode. Like, mm-hmm. we got to catch the, you know. Catch the or, ghost like, before you... or like the juggernaut robbing a bank. Right. This is like the stakes are so much higher. The um, the backdrop is so much wider. Yeah, no. You say, I was going to say universal sky is the limit. Outer space, outer space is the limit. Gosh. Obviously, obviously I, I just love it. I'm just so glad to be here. And no, I think too, awesome. part of it is that, you know, they showed this on Fox Kids and they showed it and they showed it. Like this was, they sh- they showed this on reruns 
all the time. And so there, I also think that there's a part of me, the 11 year old who started watching this, like there are lines that I still remember. Like there's, uh, there are pieces of this where I'm like, oh my God, I remember that exact inflection. So I also think like personally, and I know it's not just me, there are tons of fans, but it's just like, oh yeah, this was like formative stuff. Totally. That's awesome. Love a heightened reality. I think that's why we both like the theater as well. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of crossover. I definitely feel my feel myself. Let me re, let me say that again. <laughs> I'm definitely I definitely found myself um, doing this sort of analog thinking of, all right, if this was you know realistic, what would actually be said right now? What would actually it's the same thing in a, mm. in a musical. Well, what is this music representing in reality? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Do you ever have? Mm-hmm. Do you ever view things through that lens? Um, just in terms of if you were translating into like into nonfiction. Interesting. Like? So, so Storm saying, "Fog, gather ye, mm-hmm. blah blah blah." I don't know that that's what she's <laughs> saying. Roses while you may. <laughs> I mean, thank you. Yeah, something Shakespearean or or thereabouts. Is that what she's actually saying, or are we getting the heightened cartoon version of it? And is it somewhere in between "Fog on" and "Gather ye roses while you may"? <laughs> you know. I, I, it's all a stylization as if there's some sort of like real world version of the X-Men that would, would make sense. Isn't that, yeah, it, it's interesting too. Cause I feel like, I feel like they haven't done this as much with the X-Men. They've done it obviously a number of times, for example, with Batman, but it's like, what if Batman was real? Uh, and, you know, Every try time. Yeah. A, a few times, a few times. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, um, it's so operatic in scope. And I think, I don't know if there is an opera someday, I, would love to see it and or be a part of it in some way. <laughs> it's a scope opera. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. My my preferred sofa opera, no doubt. So, hey, we're finishing up the first episode of the Phoenix Saga, uh, Sacrifice. We like to give some awards here on Jean No. So uh, who wins the Oscar this time, would you say, Rob? Who who had a nice some nice drama in this episode? I'm between giving him the Oscar or the MVP, but I think Professor Corbeau. Oh, yeah, Dr. Corbeau. I think I, yep, absolutely. I would say I'm gonna, yeah, I love, yeah, let's, uh, let's give him the Oscar. I don't want to step on yours. I don't want to step on yours. I thought he, because I'm thinking, I'm like, he really, like, if if this were, what if this were real? If this were real, Dr. Corbeau would totally get it because he had to play so many angles. Uh, and uh, and I would definitely yeah. then give Jean MVP, right? She definitely. steps up to the plate. She knocks out Cyclops. She's the one who's going to do it. So, all yeah. right. Yeah. Honorable mention for Eric the Red. You're a cool new character, and I'm glad you're here. Even if we you're like a jerk. Yeah. Any, any favorite lines in this episode? Zit cream? Zip cream. <laughs> good choice. Good choice. Um, sorry, Dad was good too. Sorry, Dad. Uh, yeah, and I'll also throw. Uh, I'll throw out Dr. Corbo's. But who are you, <laughs> to Eric the Red? And look like they're gonna be a gar- barbecue. We gonna be the main course. <laughs> Ah, oh, so good, so good. I cannot wait for the next episodes. We've got Dark Shroud coming. We've got Cry of the Banshee and even more after that. So I hope you'll stick with us on Gene No. Rob, before we close up, you're an awesome creative person. Where can where can our fans find you if they want to know what you're up to? 
Thank you, Sarah. It means a lot coming from an awesome, creative person like yourself. Uh, of course. My um, my handle on Instagram and on TikTok is at Nutritious Junk Food. So, awesome. Yeah, do it, friends. And uh, I'm Sarah Musek at sarahmusek.com. Uh, I am on Instagram, Musekel Theater, M-U-C-K. And yeah, you can follow the podcast itself at gene-no with four O's on Instagram. We hope that you will check us out and we will see you, hear you next time. <laughs> That's my best Phoenix call. Gene, no! An X-Men The Animated Series podcast. 